It was May of 2014 off the coast of Port Elizabeth, South Africa, when Rainer Schimpf, I think that's how you say his name, he was 47 years old and he was filming the annual sardine run when a 50-foot bruised whale attacked a ball of fish uh, sardines that were below him. Luckily, this uh, giant mammal at the last moment swerved and didn't suck him into his mouth. But this is what Rayner said. I saw him, because a quote, I saw him coming up and I thought, that's it for me. The diameter of his mouth was as big enough to swallow a car. He would have barely felt me going in. There was a ball of bait below me and a group of sharks. It was only when the sharks scattered that I realized the whale was coming up directly at me. At the last moment, he must have realized I was there, and he diverted away from me and actually missed most of the bait ball. Had he not diverted, he would have swallowed me whole. Now, lucky for Rainer... Lucky for Rainer, the, the whale didn't swallow him. But in the story, the story that we're talking about this morning, I'm going to suggest to you that it was lucky for Jonah that the big fish did swallow him. Now, this, as I said earlier, is our study through the minor prophets, and we're on Jonah. And if you were here last week, you learned that Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. But in this particular case, God has sent him out of Israel to the land of Assyria to preach to the Ninevites. That is the capital of Assyria. And he is to go and preach to them. And, and the lesson that we, we came, off, uh, came out of chapter 1, the lesson that we gleaned from chapter 1, was that you can run from God, but you cannot hide from him. The prophet Jeremiah said something similar. He said, quoting God, he said, I am a God nearby and not a God far off. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Now, wherever you are, God is present. And so you cannot flee from God. You cannot get away from him. You cannot escape him. And the Bible says, and I think innately we know this, that we're going to have to give an answer to God at some point in the future. When we left the story last week, the crew had thrown Jonah overboard and they began to worship God. We talked about that a little bit, but that brings us to chapter two and the second lesson of chapter two. Here's the second lesson that I want us to glean from the book of Jonah. It is this, God can and God does and God will raise the dead. You might find that a strange message from chapter 2 of Jonah, but that's, that's the lesson that I think God wants us to hear in chapter 2. As Jonah is cast overboard in the story, he's obviously drowning, and God in his providence and in his power over his creation sends a fish, kind of like the brood's whale that Rainer was talking about, to swallow Jonah whole, and he's in the fish for three days, the story goes. Now, as he's drowning, as he's dying, Jonah prays. And in verse 4, he says, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will see your holy temple again. So as Jonah is drowning, he says to God, God, I'm confident of this. You've expelled me from your sight, but I am going to get to see your temple again. Now, how, how, come, he's, how come he's confident of that? I have no idea, but he is. Verse 6, he says of chapter 2, the earth with its bars was around me forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. Now, the pit there is another word for Sheol. It's another word for the place of the dead. That's, that was how in the Old Testament they referred to where the dead were, was, the, was Sheol or the pit. In verse 7, Jonah says, As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Now, here's what I believe that Jonah is telling us. And uh, 
As he was dying, his prayer came to God, and God heard him, and God raised him up. And what I mean by this is I believe that God raised Jonah from the dead. Now, I want you to hear me here because my entire Christian life, I have always thought that Jonah survived in the fish, that he lived in the fish three days. I do not believe that is what the Bible is teaching us. I'm pretty convinced that God raised Jonah from the dead. That would mean this, that Jonah was not alive in the fish. He was actually in the fish dead, and that after three days of being in the fish, God gave him his life back. Now, let me give you three reasons why I believe that. Number one, I believe that because I think it's the clear implication of the text. I believe it's the clear implication of this prayer that Jonah would obviously have been recording afterwards for us. He has no pen and paper as he's drowning. So he would have obviously recorded this later for us or through whoever is the author of the book of Jonah. He would have recorded this for him. And the clear implication of what he says in chapter 2 is that God raised him from the pit, that God raised him up from the grave when the bars of the earth were around him forever. So I think the implication of his words are that Jonah had gone to the place of Sheol. He had gone to the place of the dead. The second reason I believe this is because you can't live three days without oxygen. Now I know, listen, I know Geppetto did it while he was waiting for Pinocchio to come and rescue him. I know that, okay, but I just don't believe that Jonah lived three days in the fish because he could not physically do that, all right? Now, there was a story that was reported for years. James Bartley was supposedly swallowed by a whale and lived in the whale for two days. Bartley was a British sailor who was on a whaling ship. In February of 1891, he fell overboard, swallowed by a whale. Bartley lived when they caught the whale. Two days later, Bartley was alive in the belly of the, of the whale. He survived, but his skin was bleached, and he was blind from the experience. The only problem with that story is that when a historical researcher went back to, to, to research the story, the evidence proved otherwise, that it was not a true story, but a fictitious story. I'm pretty sure that Jonah was dead, that his life breath had left him because he would have suffocated in the belly of the big fish. And so here's what I'm suggesting to you. I'm suggesting that God sent the fish to preserve his body. Now, I have to, I have to confess that there's a miracle involved in this because I feel pretty certain that the stomach acid of the big fish would have disintegrated his body or done a great work on his body. Maybe it did. You know, maybe, maybe Jonah's body was affected by, uh, by the three days in the fish. But when the fish spit him out on the shore three days later, my suggestion to you is that he spit him out dead and God raised him from the dead. Now, the third reason I believe this, number one, I think the text teaches it. Number two, I believe just, you know, our understanding of life itself teaches it. But I think the third reason is this because what Jesus taught us. Now, in Jesus' life, in his three years of ministry, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, give us a sign. We just want one more sign that you really are who you say you are. And Jesus says, I've given you sign after sign after sign. I'm not giving you any more signs except for this one. I'll give you one more. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. And as Jonah was in the, in the, let me read it for you, it's Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up from the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
Now, Jesus says, I'm going to give you one more sign. It's the sign of Jonah. And I want to tell you something. Jesus was not in the earth alive waiting for three days to come out. Jesus was dead. And he uses Jonah as an illustration of his own self. And so I believe what Jesus is saying is, is that Jonah was dead and the fish saw so be dead in the earth. And as Jonah was risen from the fish, I will rise from the earth. And, and as he was raised, I will be raised. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that God raises the dead. Now, he doesn't do it often, but even in our Bibles, there are numerous times, maybe numerous is too many, there are times that the Bible tells us that throughout all of history, God has raised the dead. Possibly Samuel was raised in the time of Saul. Elijah definitely raised the son of the Seraphath widow from the dead. Elisha raised the, the son of the Shunammite woman from the dead. A man was raised from the dead when his body touched the bones of Elisha. Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain from the dead. Jesus raised uh, the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. God raised numerous saints when Jesus died or rose from the dead. One of the two, the Bible says that there were many people who were dead in the graves that came back to life. So Jesus, on his, either his death or on his resurrection, one of the two, it's hard to know from the text, God raised other people from the dead and they returned to Jerusalem to give an account of their resurrection. Uh, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Paul raised Eutychus from the dead when he fell out of the window when he fell asleep listening to Paul drone on for hours and hours into the wee hours of the night. Aren't you glad you guys are not sitting in third floor windows this morning listening to me or your lives might be in danger? And, and I do not think that I could raise any of you from the dead if you were to die. But all these people who died had one thing in common. Listen to what it was. It was this, they would all die again. All these people that Jesus raised from the dead, all these people that Elijah and Elisha and others raised from the dead, and I would suggest even Jonah, who I think was raised from the dead, they would, they would, not, they would not live on. They themselves would die. So here's the lesson of chapter 2, I believe. It's that Jonah would be a sign Jonah would be a sign that even as he died and lay dead in the fish for three days, so Jesus would be dead on the earth for three days and not alive, cut off. He would be dead, but yet he would return to the land of the living just as Jonah did. And as God would raise Jonah, so God would raise Jesus. And in the central testimony of the Bible, listen to me carefully, especially if you happen to be just somebody who's not normally participating with the church and you're hearing some stuff maybe for the first time. Let me tell you the central testimony of the Bible. We sang it this morning several times. The central testimony of the Bible is that Jesus Christ was dead. I mean dead. And God raised him back to life. I mean where he was not existing. I mean, his body was just like we would see any other corpse. He was dead and he was good and dead and God raised him back to life. So Acts chapter 4 verse 10, when Peter is preaching one of the first messages he's ever preached, he says, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Jesus Christ was risen from the dead by God himself. Now, there's a difference between Jesus' death and, and the deaths that I've talked about that were, that, where they returned to life. The difference between Jesus' death and theirs is that they would die again, but Jesus would never, ever, ever die again. 
So the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 9, he would say, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. As God raised Jesus from the dead to never die again, so God has promised that he will raise us from the dead to never, ever, ever die again. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. You know this, this text, but let me read it to you. I tell you this, my brothers, an earthly body made of flesh and blood cannot get into God's kingdom. These perishable bodies of ours are not the right kind to live forever. But I am telling you this strange and wonderful secret. We shall not all die, but we shall be given new bodies. It will all happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For there will be a trumpet blast from the sky, and all the Christians who have died will suddenly become alive new, with new bodies that will never, never die. And when we who are still alive shall suddenly have new bodies too. For our earthly bodies, the ones we have now that can die, must be transformed into heavenly bodies that cannot perish but will live forever. When this happens, then at last the scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The hope of the New Testament. Man, I want y'all to get this because it's changed my life in the last few years. I mean, it is, it is revolutionized my whole being. And that is to understand this, that the hope of the, the, the New Testament is always in our resurrection. And that's what our hope should be in. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, if there is no resurrection, listen to what he says, eat, drink, live it up. Because that's all there is. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then you might as well eat, drink, and just do your life however you want to because that's all there is. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I'm going to read it to you from the Living Bible. If we will never live again after we die, then we might as well go and have ourselves a good time. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. What's the difference? For tomorrow we die and that ends everything. The message, Eugene Peterson, this is his translation. It's resurrection, resurrection always, resurrection that undergirds what I do and say, the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat, we drink, the next day we die, and that's all there is to it. That's three translations of the same verse. Here's the point. Paul's hope, listen, please, please don't throw anything at me, but I, I just want to challenge you. Paul's hope is not it's not in an ethereal heaven. It's not in an immaterial intermediate state. Now, I'm not saying there's not that, but that's not what his hope is, and that's not what our hope should be. Our hope should be in the future resurrection. If there is no resurrection from the dead, Paul says, he seems to imply, there's nothing beyond the grave. Eat, drink, and live it up, because that's all there is. So, beloved, here's my challenge from Jonah chapter 2. Keep your heart and your mind set on our future resurrection. As Jonah was raised from the dead, as Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again, so we too shall be raised to never die again. No more dying a second time. As Jesus was raised to never die, so we too shall never die Imagine this, and some of you maybe who are not followers of Jesus, you're saying, oh man, this pastor is wacko because it's all about pie in the sky. Well, yeah, it is. It really is because nobody gets off this planet without dying the first death. So how are you, how are, what are you going to do with that? 
Don't you want to live? I know I want to live. And, and, here, and here's God saying to you, you can live. You can live forever. And the reason why we know that is because Christ lives. He's risen. The reason why death doesn't have to scare us is because it's not the end of us. Imagine a day. Imagine a day when God raises all of us that know him. He raises us up. He gives us a new body. We're alive. And we stand before him. And he welcomes us into his, into his, into his new earth. Into this new earth that he's recreated. No more sin. No more struggles. No more. I was telling the young people this morning in, in our Sunday school class. Imagine this. No more suffering. Some of you have suffered this past year. It's been a tough year for you. In fact, you've been like, God, where are you? Can you imagine a time when, when all of sin is eradicated, all that's wrong with the world is redeemed and changed, and the hills flow with milk and honey, and all that God desired for paradise is ours, and we get to live it face-to-face -face with him? And not only do we get to live it face-to-face -face with him, and listen, I don't mean to juxtapose this with us living with him, because the truth is, that's really what it's all about. Living with our creator face-to-face -face forever. But imagine this. I get to live with you. You might not like this. I get to live with you forever. I mean, I'll get to know you forever. You, you and I will be together for all eternity as friends, as brothers and sisters with Christ as our Savior and as our King. Listen, Jesus didn't get rid of his body when he rose from the dead. His body was glorified. You know what that means? That means Jesus has a body now. He has a glorified body now. And we're going to have a glorified body like him. You know what that means? That means in the resurrection, he's going to be our king in such a way that we'll be able to see him and touch him. Man, I hope he's into hugs. I really do. I think he will be. I think he will be. I mean, this, this is the lesson I think of Jonah chapter 2. That is, Christ, God raised Jonah from the dead, so God has our, raised our Savior to never die again. Let me go on. The lesson from chapter 3 is that God is the God of the second chance. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it, Proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I mean, the great lesson of chapter 3 is that God is the God of the second chance. And God gives opportunity to Jonah to rectify his failure. But it's not just Jonah that gets the second chance. It's Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh, has an opportunity to experience the compassion of God. And so Jonah goes into the city, and in this wicked city, he preaches the most lame message you've ever heard. In 40 days, yet God's going to destroy you. 40 days, yet God's going to destroy you. And I can't imagine him not preaching it with some degree of glee, you know. Or maybe, maybe he didn't think it was going to happen, so he was kind of ticked about that. But that's his message. And the Bible says that all of Nineveh repented. Listen, this is uh, verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth, sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and sat in ashes. That was a, that was a sign of contrition. That was a sign of repentance. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock... 
taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man, man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. And then verse 9, the king of Nineveh says, who knows God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. God did have compassion on them. God did have mercy on them. And just as God gave Jonah a second chance, God gave the Assyrian people a second chance, even knowing this, even knowing this, that in, in the years to come, they would go back and they would become the destroyers of his chosen people, the northern tribes of Israel. He, even though he knew that, he had compassion on them. He had mercy on them. Remember Jonah's, remember I talked about this the very first last week, actually in the first lesson, was that Jonah you remember, he didn't want to do this. And when he argued with God about why he didn't, he said, because I knew you were rich in mercy, full of compassion. And if they did repent, I knew you'd, re I knew you'd relent. That's what he basically said to them, to God. He said, I didn't want to do this because I knew this is how you are. I know that you're compassionate. I know that you're merciful. And I knew if they turned, you would not, you would not destroy them. Ever wondered why Nineveh turned? I mean, I've wondered that. Why would Nineveh, this little podunk preacher from from the northern tribes of Israel, comes up to Nineveh, preaches this short message, God's going to nail you guys in, in 40 days. Why would anybody listen to that guy? And I don't have an answer to that, but I've got a thought. I've got a thought. And I want to listen, this is my thought. This is Jimmy's speculation. Please understand. I recognize that. But this is the reason why I believe they repented. I believe because it has something to do with the resurrection of Jonah. I think it has something to do with them the word coming about what happened to Jonah. Imagine for just a moment. And again, I know I'm making this up. I, this is not say this in the Bible. But imagine that you're on the beach when the fish spits up Jonah. I don't know what he looks like. I once heard a preacher talk about how he's all bleached white and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. But, you know, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But I can't help but believe that the reason why Jonah's message carried so much import is because what happened to Jonah was known to them. As somehow know that they, they knew that Jonah was coughed up by a fish and, and given life by God. And I mean, I tell you what, if I knew that story, I think I'd listen to you. I think I'd, have, I, I think I'd listen to you. God uses big fish. He uses blinding lights. He uses storms. He uses all kinds of things to get our attention. And he obviously at some point got the attention of the people of Nineveh. But, but that's getting away from my point. Here's my point. God is willing, wanting to give you a second chance. Not just them, but he wants to give you and me a second chance. Hosea promises it. Amos promises it. Joel promises it. When I'm working on this, you know what story comes to mind? It's probably come to your mind. It's the story of the son who said to his dad, I don't care about you. All I want is your money. Give me my inheritance now so I can go and just get away from you and go live on my own. And when he does, you remember that story, right? And then the dad, and then the dad, as the, as the, as the son is years go by, and then he, he wakes up one morning, wakes up, comes to his senses and says, man, the servants in my dad's house, they have it better than this. What, why am I doing this? And he goes home. He just wants to be a servant. Remember this? But the father is waiting for him all the time. The father is looking for him all the time. And when he sees him at a great distance, he runs to him. Why? Because the nature of God is that he wants to give you a second chance. He wants for you to repent and come back to him that he might restore you. And like I said, he uses all kinds of things to get your attention from storms 
to maybe sickness in your life, maybe, maybe death touching your family. I don't know what God made, the loss of a job, just emptiness in your life. I don't know what God might use, but God uses things to get our chance. And I want to say to you this morning, if you need a fresh start, if you need a fresh start this morning, if you need a fifth start or a sixth start, God is willing. God is willing, but you must, you must repent. You must come to him. You know, I, I thought about this. Why does Jesus call it being born again? Why does he say you must be born again? I think he says you must be born again because it's, 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 it just points to a new beginning, a fresh start. God wants to give you a fresh start. And that's the lesson of chapter 3. Lamentations, I end with this verse on this, on this point. Lamentations 3.22 says, you know this verse, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That brings me to the last lesson and, and from chapter 4. If you were here last week, I said, I'm going I'm to give us one lesson, although there's more. I'm giving you one from each, from each chapter. This is a great book full of all kinds of lessons for us, but Here's the, here's the lesson from chapter 4. God values people. God values life. God values people. God values our lives. Now, before I tell you, before I prove that to you from the text, let me show you what Jonah values. You know what Jonah valued? Jonah valued his reputation. And here's, here's what I know. Jonah, remember this last week? Jonah went off to Assyria with, as a very successful prophet. He prophesied against, you know, that they were going to conquer some land that had been taken from them. He, he, he probably, you know, had a reputation of being a really good prophet. But here's the deal. He goes off now and he's no longer a good prophet. What he prophesied didn't come true. So in chapter four, he says, but I, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for death is better to me than life. Now, that seems melodramatic to me, doesn't it to you all? Oh, God, kill me, kill me. I want to die. This is, you know, I would rather die than live through this. What is he talking about? In what universe would that be true? Here's what he's talking about. Hey, I got to go home now. My prophetic reputation has been absolutely ruined. You know, I've come all the way up here to prophesy that you're going to destroy these people and you're not going to do it. You haven't done it. Who's going to look bad, God? It's going to be me. I'm the prophet who prophesied that you would destroy them and you didn't. So I'm the guy who looks bad. You know, um, Nobody would know about nobody would know about this conversations with Jonah. Nobody would know about God relenting. All they would know is that Jonah went up there to preach that God was going to destroy them in 40 days and it didn't happen. Here, here's the deal. Listen to me. Jonah would rather Jonah would rather have his reputation as a successful prophet than see thousands of people repent. And I mean, he'd rather see them die and have his reputation than to see God spare them. And, and, and him be affected adversely. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a story about a very pro-life conservative congressman. I think he was from Pennsylvania. You probably heard the story, but uh, his, he thought his mistress was pregnant. And uh, when he found out that she was pregnant, he started sending her all kinds of texts about how she needed to abort the baby. 
So here's what that guy was doing. He's a very pro-life congressman. He was basically saying, my reputation matters more than the life of that child, even though he's been such a proponent for life. I'm not saying that our reputation isn't important, but put against saving lives, choose life. That's what God would do. Paul said, I'd rather be accursed. I'd rather be accursed and my people be saved than me be saved and my people be lost. My, my people according to the flesh, my, my brothers who are Jewish. Number two, Jonah valued his pleasure, not people. So Jonah's still hoping that God's going to kill them. He goes off in the distance, builds a shelter and, uh, outside the city. And according to the Bible, God sends a plant that grows up overnight, fast-growing plant, lots of leaves. I'm sure God must have done this. But the plant covers his little lean-to in such a way that he has all kinds of shade. And he's just enjoying that. He's enjoying the plant. He's probably thinking, man, I'm a lucky man. Look at this. And then the next day, God in his sovereignty and his power over creation sends a worm. And just as quickly as the plant grows up, it dies and he loses the shade of those leaves. And Jonah gets very, very upset. And God says to Jonah, he says, do you have a reason to be angry over this plant? And Jonah replies, you're darn right I do. I'm so angry I could die. I mean, he had some anger issues, didn't he? Uh, but he said, I'm so angry I could die. And uh, so here's what Jonah is saying. You know, that plant was my shade. That plant was for me. That plant was blessing me. And now that it's taken away from me, killed by this stupid worm, I am so angry over that. Jonah valued things, his own pleasure over the lives of all of the Ninevite people. What was important to him was his satisfaction, him. I want to say this to us. Be careful, church, that we don't value the things of this world over the things that God values. Make sure that we don't value our reputation. Again, I'm not trying to say your reputation is not important. It really is. And so therefore, you should be wholesome and godly and holy that your reputation not be tarnished. But, you know, it's, it's not about our reputation. It's not about our pleasure. Make sure that we do not value those things that are temporal and passing over what God values, which is eternal in the lives and hearts of others. So God sums up this little life lesson in a rhetorical question to Jonah. Listen to it. Here it is. So you have compassion on a plant you have nothing to do with that is here today and gone tomorrow. And then he says this, then should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals. Now, everyone, here's what God values. God values life. God values people. He doesn't want to destroy people. In fact, you know, and Paul writes to Timothy, he says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, who, who also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself death on a cross as a ransom for all that the testimony given at the proper time. Ezekiel the prophet says this, speaking for God, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. This is the lesson of Jonah chapter four. God values people. He values people a great deal. And he wants us to value people more than, than I think all the other temporal things this world has to offer. Jesus put his reputation and his pleasure where Jonah did neither. Jesus put his, his reputation and his pleasure 
before us, for, for us in Philippians chapter 2. But Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Made himself of no reputation. Gave his life suffering. Suffering in this life, but suffering in death as well for us. One specific thing that I'd like you to note in Jonah is that he values innocent life. Did you notice that? Some would say, well, there's nobody innocent, and you're absolutely right. None of us, all of us have inherited Adam's nature. All of us will sin. But, but Jesus makes a distinction between people who don't know their left hand and their right hand and others. There's a distinction from the little ones that, that, can, that they don't know left or right. Jesus values their life. Even, you know, it seems to say, I really, really value the life of little ones. Okay? And, and then how about this? Do you notice this, that God includes the animals in his compassion? Do you notice that? He says, I don't want to destroy Nineveh because of the animals that are there. I mean, God has compassion on the animals that are there. God cares about people. He cares about Nineveh. So let me ask you, here's the application of this lesson for you and me. I mean, set Jonah aside, okay, because his day has come and gone, but yours is here. Do you care about Nineveh? You say, wait a minute, what's Nineveh? Nineveh, yeah, yeah, Nineveh, the Nineveh for Jonah was over there, but the Nineveh for, for you is right here today. And so I would ask you, do you care about the Nineveh of your day, or do you care about your pleasures and your reputation more than the Ninevites? You see, the Nineveh is just every time we walk out of our door, Every time we walk out of our door and our eyes lock on with somebody who's not following Jesus, they're like a Ninevite. They're like somebody who's far from God. And God, you know, the, the, the message that Jonah sent to the Ninevites is the message that we have. There's coming a day of judgment, but Jesus wants to spare you. Jesus wants to take your death. Your, your, he, wants to, he wants you for himself. Nineveh is the world all around us. It's people confused and lonely and disconnected and marginalized and living meaningless lives of desperation. I mean, it's uh, marriages falling apart or people not even caring about marriages anymore or kids without dads who care for them, people who lack joy and peace in their lives. That's the Nineveh all around us. And I'm telling you, I, I just have this sense that that maybe God's going to send John Bull or some other folks to a specific Nineveh somewhere other than here. But I want to say to all of you here this morning, God is sending all of us to the Nineveh all around of us, all around us. There's Nineveh all around us. And it's, and it's the men and women that are your neighbors. It's the men and women that you rub shoulders with at work. It's the men and women who are your neighbors. Can you imagine if, if somehow or another are all of us would, would say to God, God, I'm not going to run from my Nineveh anymore. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how it's going to affect my life. I am going to the Nineveh that you've called me to. I'm going to invite my neighbors to sit at my table. I'm going to build relationships with the guy down the road. I'm going to help my neighbor mow their grass, or I'm going to, I'm going to visit folks in the nursing home, or I'm going to go and, and make friends with folks who are in prison. You know, what if we just went to our Nineveh and counted that above our own reputation, our own pleasure. Can you imagine how you would change the world? How BCBC, us together, could change Surrey and Alawite County? That's, that's the lesson 
of chapter 4. God values life more than these other things, and he wants us to value that life to that point as well. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I don't know, Lord, as, I, as I've been preparing and preaching and going over this, I, I felt selfish. I feel like I'm preaching from a place of not really living out what you're speaking to us about, Lord, you know, going to my own Nineveh. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would just um, break the grip of, of, of selfishness and apathy and, and just caring more about our own selves than we do about the people all around us. Lord, help us to be like Jesus, who, though he was equal with God, didn't consider that something to hold on to, but he emptied himself of that, giving himself for us. Lord Jesus, may we be like you, like that. May we not hold on to this life and all the things that it offers, and may we give ourselves to those around us. Lord, would you help us with that? And forgive us, Lord. Forgive us um, for losing sight of that, for not keeping it on the front burner. Lord Jesus, you are our resurrected King. Lord, you live forever. You are alive. And Lord, we look for your return. And we would say, come, Lord Jesus, come establish your kingdom. Come and, and resurrect those who are yours or come and give them life, Lord, and, and change us. We long for the day when your kingdom will come. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that even today by your spirit, you will thrust us out into the Nineveh that's all around us. Lord, give us a heart to care for people. Give us a heart. Lord, we don't want to just compare ourselves to Jonah. Lord, we hope that Jonah repented. We hope that Jonah is the author of this letter, Lord, so that he saw the arrow's way and he's putting it for us to see. Lord, help us not to care just about ourselves, our reputation, our pleasure, but Lord, help us to care about what you care about, and that is the hearts and lives of your, of your creatures. Lord, may we care as you care. May we be a voice for you to Nineveh. Lord, use our church family to that end, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.